The Courage to Lead, Episode 94. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a great week. Um, I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome David Safir. David Safir works with business owners and financial professionals to implement cash flow management systems. He leads the change, turns problems into opportunities, and increases profits that result in a 10x return on investment for his clients. David developed the Winning the Cash Flow Game e-course. It includes cash flow models, techniques, mindset exercises that pass his cash flow management knowledge and wisdom to anyone who wants to improve the cash flow of a business. David works with key stakeholders to implement understandable, consistent cash management systems that can be monitored in just minutes each week and take their business to the next level of growth and profitability. David holds a BA from SUNY Buffalo with a focus on international business and an MBA from the Thunderbird School of International Management in Phoenix, Arizona. He speaks Spanish and Portuguese fluently and has done business in 38 countries, helping to build organizations on five continents. David, welcome to the show. It's wonderful to be here and be talking with you, Harlan. Absolutely. No, this is great. So uh, Spanish and Portuguese, uh, is that, are you from there originally or did you, is this just something you decided you wanted to learn? Um, no, I'm not from there originally. Um, I lived in Peru for a year and a half. Um, I'd studied high school Spanish but you really learn from being immersed. And then I took a semester of Portuguese and it was useful to learn Portuguese. I've lived in Brazil for about a year of my life, but a week at a time. I really haven't kept track. I've been there 60, 70, 80 times, three to five days at a shot. Wow, very cool. Yeah, immersion is definitely the way to go. That's why I moved down here to Atlanta, so I can learn to speak Southern. Southern, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. All right, we're going to get into your uh, background, how you got started, uh, talk about your coaching and uh, your winning the cash flow game. Want to definitely hear about that and uh, whatever else comes up. Uh, but first, Good. I've got 10 questions for you. Uh, listeners will know these are the 10 questions I ask every one of my guests. Uh, questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio where the host James Lipton asks these questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So David, if you're ready. I'm ready. Ready, 10 questions. Question number one, what is your favorite word? Sublime. Nice. What is your least favorite word? The F word. Okay. <laughs> um, what turns you on? Uh, my wife really turns me on. <laughs> that's no, that's a perfectly acceptable answer. Absolutely. Uh, question four, what turns you off? Um, people who are rude and or selfish. Nice. What sound or noise do you love? This was a tough one to figure out, I love listening to a lot of different types of music, but the only thing that I could really answer, my wife's voice is the sound that I love the most. Nice. When she sings, so she's yeah. a singer. I, I should have clarified that. No, very uh, cool. I like her speaking voice, but <laughs> she's got a gorgeous singing voice. Nice, awesome. Um, what sound or noise do you hate? Um, you know, the one that I really hate is the scratching on the chalkboard with fingernails. Absolutely. All right. Question seven. What is your favorite curse word? It's actually two words. So if you'll allow me, ah, crap. Okay. <laughs> and you said you had a story about that. Well, about not about that one, but about the F word. I remember distinctly the last time I said it. I don't really swear. I did growing up as a kid and I stopped and I was getting these scam phone calls from somebody and I was actually in a business environment with another person in the room and I thought I got a scam phone call from the same person 
And so I told them to F off, which I never, never, never do. And the person said, excuse me, it wasn't who I thought it was. I was mortified, (laughs) had to apologize, and I've never used the word since. That is great. Love that. Yeah, I'm not a big cursor myself uh, every once in a while. It's just, it seems appropriate every once in a while. You know? Well, and I, I go by the Bible. Uh, my kids will say, Dad, and when I say ass, damn, um, there's a couple of others. It's in the Bible, Absolutely. so it's okay. <laughs> exactly. All right, question eight. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? A medical professional. Okay. Any um, discipline in a certain area? Well, you know, I... Growing up, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. I actually took uh, biology as a freshman as my focus. Uh, and then I decided I didn't want to just have to memorize stuff so much. But the um, COVID pandemic has given me a new sense of appreciation and wishing I could do contribute in some way, shape or form, but they need people who are trained. Yeah. And so I'm talking even if it was just like a nursing assistant. And so I'm trained in times of need. It's I just am overwhelmed by the amount of compassion that these people have had working with um, working with patients and with COVID and sometimes people who don't really even believe that they are sick from the disease they're sick from. Yeah, just amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100 percent agree. All right. Question 10. What profession or number nine? I mean, what profession would you not like to attempt? Um, I would not t- like to deal with anything that has to do with animals on a day-to-day basis. Okay. I just, I like animals, but they make me nervous and yeah. <laughs> All right. And question 10, David, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I, I just like him to say welcome. Okay. And if my wife by chance is there before me, I'd like to him to say, by the way, Lisa's waiting. Nice. Very cool. All right, David, we're going to come back. Like I said, we'll talk about how you got started, um, how you got interested in the, in a finance and cash flow side of things. Talk about the game you've created and uh, whatever else comes up. All right. Sounds great. All right. Listeners, we'll be back right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. All right, and I'm back with my guest, David Safir. David, thanks again for agreeing to be on the podcast. Been looking forward to the conversation here. So tell me how you got started. Is this, uh, were you one of those kids who just knew you wanted to get into finance and cash flow and stuff? Harlan, it was the the furthest thing from my mind. I mean, I I went to school. I was one of those guys who had such a hard time nailing down a uh, a major in college. I started in biology, which I mentioned. I then moved to computer science, which I found deathly boring sitting in front of a a screen all day. Um, And then I moved over to, I thought I'd be a business major, and I couldn't get through accounting my first two tries. And then I ended up in international business, which wasn't as heavy in accounting. I ended up passing that, but I, my thought I was just going to be a general, um, and I pretty much achieved it. Um, a, a businessman, an international business person who is responsible for an organization. <laughs> and I, I got to that point with Eastman Kodak. I was the general manager for a division in Latin America, I learned how to run a PL, a profit and loss. Okay. And then I was recruited um, to a company called iOmega, which people might remember the zip drive. Mm-hmm. And I started up iOmega Latin America Inc., where I was the president and general manager of that subsidiary. And it was great. Um, but again, it was heavy on sales, marketing, 
but I had to understand how that impacted the bottom line. And when I left corporate America for personal reasons, I needed to stop traveling because I had kids of the age that I had to be home. Um, I started just doing general consulting because I had this general knowledge. I had dealt with so many different areas of a business and there was people who needed my help. About three years ago, I said, I want to focus. And I realized everybody I was helping, I was really at the fundamental problem I was trying to solve was a cash issue. Cash flow of generating money that comes in and dealing with it how and when it goes out. And that's how I ended up focusing in on cash flow management and then taking it beyond just managing it to optimizing it, which now you're driving profits by optimizing your cash flow. Nice. And I I know right off the bat, I've I've got clients that I work with that that's one of the first things they ask, how can we improve cash flow? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the management part of it because I'm guessing they have a shortage once in a while Mm -hmm. or they don't know how to collect or there's money trapped somewhere and that's managing. But once you get to the point where you're going, okay, we've got great cash flow. You start saying, well, what can you do that revolves around cash flow that actually improves the bottom line? And some of it's very counterintuitive. Do you mind if I give a no? Absolutely, love examples. So one example of counterintuitive cash flow management that can optimize is paying bills early. Really? Okay. Oh yeah, right. I mean, the first thing you think of is get more time. Well, listen, if you've got enough time and if you've got enough cash, a lot of vendors, if you call them and say, listen, um, I would like to pay my bill early. It's not in our terms, but if I do, will you give me a 1% discount or 2% discount? And And a lot of them will take it. Um, I know with, um, I refer to my personal life on this sometimes, but I'll ask, what if I pay cash? Right now, if you're doing $100,000 and you're paying cash, there's federal regulations, and it may or may not be to your advantage. They literally hand over $10,000, $10,000 bills. But if you say, what if I paid 50% up front, would you give me a, a break? You know, hedge your risk that it's not going to be done. There, so that's an example of optimizing because you're reducing your costs and it drops to the bottom line. Nice. I mean, we counsel, you know, clients to, if you're having trouble collecting, because that's one area everybody seems to have trouble with, offer right. them. If you pay right. today, I'll give you a 2% discount or something like that. Never thought about turning it on the other side. If you're paying, why not offer or why not ask? Hey, if I pay earlier, pay in cash, can I get a discount? Yeah, that's that's exactly and nice. exactly it. And there's other things that do the opposite. Um, pay you know pay your bills quickly. Well, how about um, a lot of people feel this pressure to pay their bills on time, and so many businesses are set up to take late payments, utilities, um, even your a mortgage payment. Uh, uh, you know. Um, a payment, well, a mortgage payment on a building for a business, it's built in usually, you can pay up to seven days late, yeah. or 15 days late, and with no penalties in any way, shape or form. <laughs> and so sometimes taking advantage of that, now that might be more obvious, but to a lot of people, it's just not. They, they, they've learned you have to pay on time every time. Right. Yeah, because I, you know, like you said, the, the common thought is, if you're on a 30 day, you know, net 30, net 45, pay Mm -hmm. it in 29 days, pay it in, you know, 44 days, right? Right. Wait till the last minute. But you're right. If you say, Hey, I'll pay this early. I'll pay it in 15 days. If I can get a little bit of a discount that could add up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, well, I'm trying to get off of my mindset now I'm in the uh, accounts payable side, but accounts receivable. Well, let's talk about that. Um, and that is if you know, somebody's having problems, making a payment on time, call them up and say, that's fine, pay late, but we'd like you, you know, pay additional, or um, you tie it into future purchases, or there's all sorts of things that you can do to optimize. Stop thinking about today 
and start thinking about your future. And if you can think about the future results that you want, it allows you to be more flexible and break out of the box we've all got yeah. around just about every subject and try to blow it up and make it to your advantage as a business owner. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Working with one client, he had a, a lot of, of money in his receivables. And what was happening is they would complete a job. It took them 20, 25 days to complete the job in invoice. And then it took another 30, 45 days for them to get paid. Mm -hmm. It's like, what can we do to shorten this time to when you complete a job, you invoice. And so we got that down to about five to seven days, which has helped right. his cash flow tremendously. It's those little things, right? Yeah, it is. And part, sometimes it's breaking out of the paradigms we have. Um, I was working with a business owner with terrible, terrible cash problems. And he had these big receivables that were going to be coming due because of contracts with deposits, various reasons. And I said, listen, when those contracts come in and the money is due, we can go out and get somebody to factor this. His first reaction is it's too expensive. And I'm going, okay, but you might go out of business trying to save the money for the, the person doing factoring. And so some of the things we automatically label as bad sometimes are good enough in the right position. Yeah. But it's having that, that open mind to listen to other alternative, right? Plans. Right. That, you know, that's a big part of it. And, and part of it is digging below the surface. You know, when I was trying to decide you know, what I really wanted to focus in on, I, I looked for cash flow uh, articles. How to improve your cash flow. And what I noticed, the most suggestions they ever had was 10. Usually it was five, seven, 10. The last one was always what they wanted to sell you. The author was a motivated author to sell you something. And the other ones were all the same. Invoice your clients on time um, and collect from them and pay your bills, such and such. Um, Cut all your costs. Well, yeah. gee, that's, automate, automate the process. Automate pro, but there it was just regurgitated, but you know, over and over again. And uh, I said, you know what? I bet you I can think of ninety nine ways to manage your cash flow. Nice. And I was wrong. I hit ninety nine and kept going. Nice. I'm up to hundred and eighty six strategies and wow. tactics for managing cash flow, and that doesn't include that's ongoing operations that doesn't really have much to do at all with we've got a war chest that we're building up or we're trying to um, do legal tax legally reduce our taxes yeah. not dealing with any of that stuff how do wow. you invest your money this is ongoing operations how do you optimize your tax your cash flow and i've come up with an 86 186 i stopped trying to think of them because I've got other stuff I got to do, but I'm sure there's more out there. Wow. Very cool. And now we're all 186. Are those in that course that you created? You know, I've created multiple courses. Okay. Um, one is a strategy course that's just high level thinking. How do you think about this? Another one is a how-to course, which is the nuts and bolts of doing cash flow. Using a spreadsheet as an example, but it gives you the understanding of how things work together. So if you want to move to automation, you've got an idea of how things work. And the last one is a cash flow advisory certification course nice. that I'm saying, if you want to learn what I do, and I've had people ask me, how do you do what you do? It's a rather extensive course, and it's got all 186 strategies and tactics documented, nice. including a simple checklist that you don't even know how to implement them. You get the checklist, you go talk to a company, you interview them, and you just start checking it off. Nice. And saying, oh, do they have inventory? So here's some inventory strategies and tactics. Receivables. Let's see what, and you just go in, and then you go, go back and learn what you need to learn, or I, I, I provide support, and it's not just a course, it's a, that one's actually a program that we do weekly mastermind groups so we can all learn from each other that I lead. Very cool. That sounds awesome. So international businessman, what, what countries have you worked in? You said you've been on five continents, 38 countries. 
Yeah. Um, which continents are you most interested in? All of them. <laughs> Where Australia is the easiest. I've been okay. to Australia nice. a couple times. Um, uh, Asia is limited. I've only been to Singapore a couple times and a layover a couple times in Taiwan. Huh. Um, in South America, Latin America, Mexico, the, uh, Aruba, Jamaica, um, uh, Bar uh, Bahamas, um, Grand Caymans. Then we go from Mexico to Nicaragua, Panama, Ecuador, Colombia, Peru, um, Chile, Argentina, Brazil. You want me to keep going? Wow. All those Africa, places. South Africa, Cote d'Ivoire, Ghana, Nigeria. Um, I've been to uh, Israel, um, uh, Denmark, Holland, um, the Netherlands, Spain, Portugal, France, England, and maybe Sweden. Oh. I always forget which yeah. country. Anyhow, that gives nice. you an idea. It's probably not all 38. That's awesome, though. So was that with uh, with Kodak or iOmega or both? It's been for very uh, various reasons. Kodak, iOmega, a nonprofit over in Africa. Nice. Um, and, and so um, none of that is purely personal. That's not true. Israel was personal. It's pure, purely personal. But I consider it still a business trip because I learned how to negotiate in the Arab markets. Nice. which came in handy when I went to Morocco. I forgot Morocco. That was a business trip as well. Yeah. yeah. Morocco is on my, on my bucket list. One of the places you, I want to go. You know, it's pretty easy to get there. You go to Spain and take a ferry over. I, there you go. It, it's yeah, it's, it's a, it's a day trip. If you want it to, if you want it longer, obviously, yeah. but that's what I did with my wife. And um, I flew through there once as a connecting flight, but it's pretty easy to get there. It's a fascinating place. Absolutely. Very cool. So how many people do you have working for you right now? Um, right now, I've got a virtual staff. And okay. so I've got the equivalent of two headcounts working with me in various in various capacities. Okay. Uh, I, I just I'd love to give a shout out to Abigail. She's my right hand. She produces my LinkedIn Live and um, does all my marketing focus. And so uh, Abigail is uh, my, my key person right now. Very cool. And then before, in the previous life at uh, Kodak and iOmega, how many folks did you have working for you then? Um, I think at Kodak, I started out with about 150. Okay. Uh, iOmega, it was a smaller, we had different model. It was not an in-country model for our, we didn't have subsidiaries. Kodak has subsidiaries. Anyhow, it doesn't really matter. I had about, I think, 40 people working with me at iOmega. Um, and I say initially with Kodak because we had to do a restructuring. Um, I was asked to do something for a year with Latin America for this division. After a year, I came back and said, I can't do it under the current structure. Um, I, I'm going to have to go get a different job or we're going to have to restructure. Wow. So, um, yeah. yeah, it was it was a very interesting time. Yeah. My background is organizational change management. So yeah, restructuring is always, always fun. Yeah. Um, well, that's one way to say it. <laughs> Trying to be nice. I mean, this is, you know, about courage. And yeah. I mean, at some point, if you, if you want an example of courage, that that was certainly one of them. Sure. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about the restructuring. Well, you know, first of all, um, I was younger than most of the employees and I was also not a Kodak guy. I didn't have yellow blood. You know, that's the yeah. joke. I was brought in from the outside to help with the digital transformation from analog into computer, the computer yeah. world. And so I was asked to set up distribution channels where they were selling directly to end users. And that's where I said, I, I can't do it. We're competing against ourselves. And unless there's a unified way to go, um, it's just going to, it's never going to work properly. And they basically said, and this was a shock. They said, great, go figure it out, collect some people that you trust from the area and come back in a month with a recommendation of how you're going to restructure this thing. And I was like, okay, you know, that wasn't my expectation. I figured they were going to do something about it. Yeah. And, and we did, we, we did project tango. I just added this to my LinkedIn profile. There was five of us and we went to a basement 
a meeting room in Buenos Aires, which is why we named it Project Tango. It's in Spanish, it's Project Tango, okay. is how you'd pronounce it. And we restructured the uh, organization and we, we, we recommended that part of this was reducing headcount um, to about 75 and then rehiring 25 positions with the skill sets that we needed for the reality mm. that we were facing in the digital world. And um, so I got there and we did the presentation and they said, great, we want you to do this. And that was another shock. Uh, I didn't think they'd be asking me to implement it. And, um, but we did. And they said, and you've got a year. If we're not profitable, that was the problem. They've been losing money year after year after year on this little division. And they're going, it's just not worth it. We don't get the volume benefit or anything else. If we're going to keep losing money, you've got a year to make it profitable or we'll just shut it down. And they would have given me another job. And I was quite marketable and it was fine for me. Um, but it was pretty scary. I mean, it, it, but, and we had to go tell people, I was telling people who are 15, 20, 30 years older than me that they lost wow. their job. Wow. And there was difficult discussions, but you know what I found is that most of them landed a job fairly quickly after that in a situation that they were happier with. Nice. They were better off. Um, not all not all people and that oftentimes is a skill set issue yeah. they didn't keep up with new skills so we went in we we did the restructuring and a year later we were break even and we went on and to become quite profitable nice. um over the next couple of years while while i was there okay. it, it took a lot to, yeah. to get that done well and having those difficult conversations that's that's yes. where that courage comes in yeah yeah, wow. yeah. I mean, I, there's a couple of people I very distinctly remember who'd been with the company forever. And, um, but part of it was also having the faith that this idea that we had that was going to work would actually work because nobody guarantees any of this stuff, right? Sure. Nobody guarantees that everyone isn't going to quit because they're all dissatisfied or that just because we say, hey, we're going to start selling a new way that anyone's going to say, great, we'll buy from you. Um, but we were able to do some other interesting things that previous general managers over that division just sloughed off. I don't know why. Well, well, here's one. I cut the products. The general attitude, we're going to sell everything to everybody. Yeah. And I started looking going, do you have any idea what it costs to support that? Do you know what the margins are? Th th this doesn't make us any money. We don't get that much revenue in the first place. So you get rid of the stuff that was dragging you down. And then we also took the time and the effort to understand some importation laws and started doing some what's called finishing work in the largest market. And it improved our margins like 25% while lowering the price, the, the consumer. We got rid of 45% taxes. Wow. So you get bigger margins, lower price points, and Fuji, which was the big competitor at the time, mm -hmm. which was eating our lunch, we were able to start winning the business back because nice. everyone wanted to buy from us. They just couldn't afford it. Yeah. Very cool. That sounds like a lot of the same strategies. I mean, even small businesses, you know, uh, Pareto has this 80-20 rule, right? 80% yeah. of your revenue comes from 20% of your customers. 80% of your profit comes from 20% of your products or services. If you can focus on that 20% and let the rest of it go through attrition, through whatever, let that go, focus on the thing that are most profitable and those customers that, that mean the most and buy the most from you, you can turn a business around pretty quickly. Absolutely. And so there's some out of the side, out of the box thinking though, in none of those articles, they say, look at your product mix. Right. None of the articles that they say fire your clients that are that your loser. I've got an article that's fire your loser clients yep. and people are just they're ticked off at me. They said, you're wrong. Every client's right. And I said, guys, read what it says. You're losing money. And it's like, you know, I don't think I have any cash in my in my wallet right now. I don't. But pretend, you know, this is a 20 dollar bill. Here you go, Mr. Client, Ms. Client, whoever it is, take my money. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, out of the box thinking. Yeah. That shouldn't be out of the box. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so 
you you have your own consulting business now? Is that what you're doing? I do. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and how long how long have you been doing that? So I've been doing consulting work since um, 2001. Um, and it was people while I was still in corporate started approaching me and say, can mm -hmm. you help with this? Can you help with that? And so it's gone from full time, part time to full time to part time. And and so uh, it's gone like this until 2018, where I said, OK, this is where I'm focusing. I'm actually now trying to transition. My goal is not to just help the limited number of companies I can help. I would like to spread this new way of thinking globally and to start saying cash is not only king but also queen and it's the royal court and so why are you not paying more attention to your cash flow and I, i've got some theories on why people don't pay attention to cash flow and i i upset one particular profession when i talk about it okay well, I know a lot of small businesses just don't understand. They think cash flow is just how much money do I make and how much money do I keep? That's barely scratching the surface. It is. Um, so I look at it, there's two issues going on. Number one, and this is what all the, sorry, this is what most accounting professionals will point their finger at the business person saying, business person, you should know better than this. And I turn around and say, well, wait a minute, accountant. You should know better because you should know that everything you provide to them is historical in nature. And that if you're providing them accrual based reports and accrual based information, you have buried deep the realities of their cash flow and have never tried even talking to them in most cases about what reality is and translating the reports let alone throw away your accrual based reports use that if you have to and look at cash-based accounting nice. and it's much closer to reality not a hundred percent but right. a heck of a lot closer to reality um for a p l uh, as well as balance sheet um then you're going to get out of accrual accounting but what is it uh, i had this conversation with somebody and they said that it's probably because the accountants, the bookkeepers, they were taught accrual. That's what they know. That's what they're most comfortable in. So that's what they do. They aren't thinking of it from the business's standpoint. They're looking at it more from their ta standpoint, the tax standpoint, right? Right, right. Oh, and mm -hmm. I, I won't even talk to you about the tax accountants who do a disservice by not saying you need another accountant yeah. that can help you understand your day to day once a year, once every quarter. But I agree. And I think what they forget is that it's accounting theory, not fact, that they're, that they're showing people. Mm -hmm. And they forget about the fact that this is all principles and, you know, matching principle. But you, you got to use the matching principle. No, you don't. You, you just go, instead of accrual, cash. It's really easy on QuickBooks and every other accounting software yeah. that I know. You don't have to. If you did have to, they wouldn't let you do it in cash. But it's a hard concept. Everybody drilled and drilled and drilled and drilled. And that's what they're tested on most of the time. Yeah. Wow. So if a client comes to you and they say, how can I make this better? And you offer them the cash flow game. Is that something you take them through the business? Well, that's, that's one of the options. Now, I, so if it's a, if it's a business owner, I will give them that option to go, hey, here, here's a way that you can learn it, um, but I don't recommend it necessarily for the business owners as much as for people who support the business owners in-house. Okay. Now, if it's somebody who is an accountant who's saying, I really wanna learn how to do this on my own, I'll recommend the cash flow advisory course because that's what they're doing, whether they're internal to the company or external to the company or they hire me to do some consulting work and I'll do it as a project basis or for a, a block of time and we agree upon what the deliverables are. So I'm pretty flexible, but again, it's the coursework and I just authored my first book um, that I wanna spread the world word because there's only so much I can do. Yeah.
So the, the other thing that happens once in a while, Harlan, is that an accountant will come to me and say, listen, I've got a client. I have no interest in learning to do what you do because I like what I do. I, I'm focused. Can we, can you help me with this? Can you be a partner with me? And most of the time of that, uh, I say, great, this is how we split fees. And I'll be directly interfacing with their clients as a trusted additional advisor to the two of them. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Stuff. It's fun. It's yeah. good. Yeah. So when you got started, where did you find the courage to step out and kind of do things on your own? You know, the nine to five is a comfort zone for a lot of people. They want to stay yeah. there, let somebody else make the decisions, the, the difficult decisions. Um, and I collect my paycheck. And then there's others of us that say, no, 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 I want to do this, or I see a need for this. And you go, but that takes some courage to walk away from that comfort zone. Where did you get the courage? You know, I'll go back to my wife, Lisa, who believes in me and just basically says, David, you can set anything you, you set, you can do anything you set your mind to. Uh, for me, part of it was also that I had been doing this type of work. Um, on the side that that's a really helpful bridge. And I can tell you, uh, most people recommend not most, there are advisors who tell people don't quit your day a day job until you know that you can generate some additional revenue. Right. And so I would subscribe to that myself. Um, and just the drive, I know what it's like to then have to go get back onto an airplane. And I tried for a while working for somebody else doing this exact same type of work. And I'll tell you, I learned a lot from it. It lasted for three engagements. And I said, I can't keep doing this. I was, it was getting back on airplanes constantly. And so um, that's part of it. Um, I, do, I do, uh, do I do travel? Absolutely. I haven't at all for my clients during the pandemic era. Um, and I'm looking forward to getting back out and actually working with people. Um, but that that's where I got the courage, was wanting to also shift my lifestyle. I knew if I got back another job in corporate, I was laid off, by the way, by the way. And I'm not ashamed of it because in the computer industry, it's just a matter of when, it's not if. I wasn't doing anything wrong. It was more of a, um, you've... Uh, one one time it was, David, you can either take a layoff or two of your people be laid off. And it was like, yeah, I don't want to stick around if my two people are gone. Yeah. And in this particular case, the, the company is just shrinking, shrinking, shrinking budgets. And I was too big of a percentage of their budget. Yeah. It wasn't doing anything wrong. So anyhow, that, that was a big kick in the pants. Um, I was gone. I was out of corporate. And the, do I find a job or do I start? consulting full-time. Yeah. And having coming, come from consulting, I know what it's like to get on a plane every Monday and every Friday. And that, that gets old pretty fast. I did it for it 25 years, 27 years. Yeah. 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 My, my worst situation was 40 trips in one year, probably 35 of those international. Wow. Yeah. It, it was tough. Yeah. Pro yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely gets you. Um, yeah. the, the courage we talk about on the, on the program, um, there's intellectual courage, right? The courage to set aside long-held beliefs to make room for new knowledge because there's always something new coming in. Um, there's disciplined courage where you set a plan for yourself. And even though you, things get in the way, you see the shiny objects around, you stick to your plan and achieve your plan. Empathetic courage, moral courage, social courage, all of those things play a part. Is there a type of courage you think is most important? For entrepreneurs? For me, it's not just entrepreneurs, it's everybody globally, and that's integrity courage. Nice. I mean, integrity takes a lot of different forms. You know, it's the honesty as you're talking to other people. It, it's also uh, doing in, in private what you profess in mm -hmm. public and living up to your word and it fundamental to your reputation. Um, uh, I try to be an example of uh, in, integral, is that the right way to say it, but of integrity, yeah. integrity. <laughs> integral courage, integrity courage. Yeah. Um, that to me is the key sure. and sort of a basis for everything else. Absolutely. Yeah, especially when you have kids, you want to set that example for them too, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, but you know, when I'm in the marketplace and I seeing somebody not having integrity, it questions my desire to do business with them. Yeah. It, 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 question, it makes me question everything. And this isn't just in the business place, you know, politicians, mm. I question if they don't have integrity, which is what they're saying is what they're doing, whether it's their private business or not, I don't care that they're doing it. What I care about is they're telling everybody else that they shouldn't be doing it right. or, or they're completely lying and saying, you know, I don't do that. A anyhow, that's that's a real stickler for me on the people. I, I try to vote based on integrity and the person and character versus any particular uh, political stance. But that's just me. I know they don't make it. They don't make it easy, though. They don't know it's and you know I had an aunt and I got upset with her and I later on I said and I haven't told her this yet so Aunt Vicky if you're listening we got into an argument once at a wedding saying that well it was I thought she was making it as an excuse she says well you know politicians seem to have maybe this special need and I said that's ridiculous and then later on I said you know what it could be just a fundamental part of most politicians character and, and she was accurate. Mm. I just didn't want to hear it as an excuse for the situation. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and business is one of the things we talk about when I start working with clients is uh, your vision, mission, purpose, right? Yep. Um, the core values that help drive the business. And a lot of times they write down their core values are honesty and integrity. And it's like, take that off there. And they, they look at me like, why? We want to be honest and integrous. It's like, well, that should be what we call table stakes. It's like in Vegas. In order to sit at this table, you have to come in with X amount, right? To, to play. Yeah. You have to have honesty and integrity to be in business. If you don't, you shouldn't be here to begin with. So that should be a given. Let's start with what else you, you know, you profess. So it's interesting. It's one of those, if you say it, if you have to say it, then you're probably covering something up. <laughs> I, I'm not saying that they were, right. but there's certain circumstances, you know, and it's the same thing. Uh, Forgive me for tying it back into cash flow management. Sure, no. If you're going to be late paying a bill, now with the exception of these large corporations that just, it's fine, you know, they've got a system built in. But when you're working with other entrepreneurs, other small businesses, and you're having trouble paying, get on the phone. Mm -hmm. Don't make them call you and don't call them three days after you're late. As soon as you know you're probably going to be late, call them up and tell them what's going on. And say, I'm so, you know, and apologize and say, what can we do? Can I pay you a certain amount now? Right. And then this is my schedule. It is so well received. And that's, be and it, and it's not just it's well received, it establishes trust. Yeah. And I think people get scare scared. Oh, they're going to think we're in trouble and then they're never going to sell to us again. I think it's just the opposite. If you're end up late and you're not communicating, that's when they get scared. Yeah. Yeah. I've had clients that, They've had uh, customers that, or or vendors or whatever, that just kind of ghost them. Yeah, they're not paying. They won't answer. They won't answer email. They won't answer phone calls. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's one of those. <laughs> you know, the, the, this golden rule: do unto others as you have. Well, have them do unto you. I prefer yeah. do unto others as you think they would like to have done unto them. Yeah. Right, and most people would like to get a phone call. Sure. And not be ghosted. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, of all the uh, the folks you worked with, you said you had a little over 150 folks, Kodak, 40 or so at iOmega, and then your virtual team now. If I was to bump into any of those people in the street, and I ask them about you, what would they tell me? Um, what type of leader would they say you are? You know, if you pick those two companies, they're going to say something different than the first couple of companies I was a leader at. Okay. Um, I, I was um, I was not this type of a leader when I first started. Um, I was a dictatorial. Why aren't you doing this? Why isn't everything done on time? And I cared more about the process and the production than I did about the people. But uh, a light switch went off at some point, and I realized it was more important to care about the people and what their goals were in life not just the business environment, but in life so that they could achieve their goals. And I tell you, I helped a lot of people get promoted out of my department and these are really good people. Mm -hmm. But what I found was 
while they were working for me, they were incredibly productive. We, 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 we could talk about issues in the workspace because I knew what their goals were longer term and it developed a large amount of trust. That's what I would hope. And if I can tell you, I actually received some gifts from employees when I left companies. Wow. Nice. Um, to basically say thank you. And, um, it felt good and if and we're still friends um you know it doesn't work with everybody and i wasn't friends with everybody but some sure. of them it was more of a friendship than it was a business relationship and now i i and the other thing is um they would call me i was on his team it, we, we don't i try to say yeah i might be the head of the team but it's more like a coach's uh, sets direction and tries to help right. you improve yeah there, so, that's the job of a coach, right? That's right. That's what you should be doing. Thinking right. more about how can I help make you better? How can I get you everything you need to be successful? Yeah. yeah and if you do that with enough people, then the team wins and then the coach wins. Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. So working with some of the companies that you work with now and leaders and stuff, what do you see that they're struggling with most um, in business? It's a lot of times the financial issues may be one part of it. It may be a, a a symptom, right? Or an outward manifestation of a, a different problem. What are you seeing out there with businesses? I see that when businesses are fundamentally flawed, it's because the business owner refuses to take responsibility for the business. That they feel like they can do the one piece that they're good at, and that's generally a combination of whatever the technical aspect of the business is with sales, generally. Sometimes it's not, they hire salespeople, but that's what they're responsible for. And if there's other parts of the company that are having problems or that they're not really having problem, the symptom is he's, he's the underlying or she's the underlying problem and their department's the underlying problem, they refuse to acknowledge that what they do directly and significantly impacts the other parts of the company. Yeah. And that is when there's a really fundamentally flawed business. That's what I see. Yeah. And part of being a, a good consultant to these companies is having that courage to step up and say, you are the problem. Yes, you know, absolutely. They don't, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. It's like telling somebody their baby's ugly, but sometimes you just have to tell them. Yeah, it's true. And you know, one of the nice things about a consultant is that they are paying you separately. They cannot, well, they can fire you, but it's not the same right. pressure. It shouldn't be. Right. And um, one particular person that I have worked with recently would be all over the place. And I finally would say, listen, it's not their fault. This is what's not happening within the company. And I point to the, I point to what, not so much the, them say, if that were to happen, they could do their job and it, and it shuts them down yeah. and they, okay. Yeah, you're right. But most of the time, what it really comes down to is they're afraid yeah. that if, um, if there's a significant issue, they're afraid of the business going under, they're afraid of their personal finances, they're afraid of all sorts of stuff. Um, but that's usually fundamental. There's courage to start a business, but they're doing it out of fear of something. That's what I've found. Yeah. Yeah. Fear drives most of it. You know, everybody says, oh, money's the motivator. This is the motivator. Fear is the biggest motivator. Yeah. Fear motivates us to do all kinds of crazy things. <laughs> It does. And, but you also find some very mature and I don't mean age necessarily, mm -hmm. although the end of finding that there is an age correlation, mature business people who re recognize that they, what their fears are at some point they realize that and now deal with it much better. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me about your book and when does it do out? Well, the, the book's available right now. Good. In printed form, um, it's only available on my website, okay. which is davidsafir.com. And it's winning the cash flow game mindset hacks. Okay. This is a series of, and I've pulled it out of my courses, um, but it's, it's a series of um, discussions on different topics with exercises of how you can start thinking differently. 
it's about it's about um, 55 pages long. I think there's eight or nine chapters. And the reason I did it in printed form is because I want people to print it out. Not sorry, I want them to have it in their hand. There's a difference between getting a PDF. Mm-hmm. You can't do this on your Kindle uh, or, or on your iPhone or whatever your phone you're using. And so that is out today. Okay, very nice. And that's available on your website. Uh, what about the information on your your courses? Are they available like, on the my website? My courses too? is on the website also. The, I've got a store on the website. You just click okay. on the store and you'll see two of the three courses. This The course for cash flow advisors, I am not just offering it to everybody for a couple of reasons. Number one, there's so much value in there. It's, it's not inexpensive. But number two is I wanna make sure the right people are taking it for the right reasons and they become part of the mastermind and i'm selective about who i bring in they need to have a certain skill set that they're bringing to the table in order to just fundamentally be uh to be um sorry uh successful themselves which is the goal not just to sell stuff yeah awesome yeah very cool very cool so davidsafir.com his website everything is out there um are you active on linkedin People Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've got lots of followers. I put out lots of content. Um, I love to interact with people on LinkedIn. Yes. All right. Well, I will make sure that uh, those links are in the show notes for everybody. Uh, links to your website, links to your LinkedIn profile, and uh, hopefully people will reach out to you and learn how to improve their cash flow. That's awesome. Very cool. David, thank you so much for being on the program. This has been great. Thank you, Harlan. It was a, a pleasure. And it was, I love the conversation with you. Yeah. And we'll do it again. We'll do it again. Good. I'm sure there'll be more to more to talk about. So listeners, hope you guys were taking lots of notes because there's a lot of good takeaways from this. And uh, definitely go out and check out the website, davidsafir.com. Um, and if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with your family, friends, and colleagues. And stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan, saying so long for now. <laughs>